Welcome to Hero's Journey Physio Fitness. Our mission is to empower, inspire, and mentor people to reclaim their health and become self-reliant in their fitness. I'm your host, Dr. Cameron Hogue. Join with me as my co-host, Annabelle Rios. All right, we're going live in three, two, one. All right, welcome everybody. Today's a special day. You've been hearing me in camp for a while, but for the first time, you get to see us in person, and we have a very special guest. Who is that guest, Cam? So today, we have Dr. Rachel Neal. Uh, I'll give you a little background on her. She is a graduate from the University of Tennessee Health Science Center, where she received her doctorate of physical therapy. She has been practicing in the outpatient physical therapy world for the past six years. Um, most interestingly, she is a certified pelvic health therapist through the Herman and Wallace program. Uh, and she mainly works with clientele that have uh, pelvic health uh, dysfunction and pain. So we're so excited to have <coughs> Rachel on the podcast to talk about all things related to pelvic health. Rachel, thanks for joining us. Thank yeah, thanks thank for you. Guys. Um, first of all, how did you even get into this? Did you grow up and say, you know what, I want to do pelvic floor? Uh, definitely not. Uh, so I grew up fairly sheltered. So the idea of doing the things that I do now would probably horrify a younger me. Um, <laughs> but honestly, I really thought I wanted to work in sports physical therapy. Like I think that's most PTs when they come out, they're like, ah, yes, sports, yeah. the glory, the sweat, the blood, well, I, the tears. I can work with the quarterback. Sign me up. <laughs> Yeah. Just anything that I was like, I want to travel the world. I want to work on that. Um, and then when I got hired on uh, for the company I actually work for now, mm -hmm. they said, hey, would you be willing to try this? And I went, mm, yeah, okay, sure. I don't want to upset my new employer. And it was not immediately a hit or a success. It took me helping uh, one of my first patients get better. Like she actually stuck with it, stuck with me while I was learning and trialing and airing. And that made me go, you know what, this is like really gratifying to give people a portion of their life back in a way that was previously disregarded by other people. Yeah. Okay. So you kind of fell into it in a way. Yes. So I don't know nothing about it. So what is pelvic floor PT? So pelvic floor PT um, is physical therapy geared towards the muscles that support bowel, bladder, and sexual function. So your pelvic floor is comprised of 13 or so muscles. It's a little different in men and women, but not too much. Mm -hmm. uh, that range from front to back, side to side, all in your pelvis. The other things that help or comprise that area are going to be abdominal muscle, looking at spine, hips, uh, even things that may be happening at the feet and your knees. Fun fact, if you didn't know, oh, I didn't know your, your nerves in the bottom of your feet also help keep uh, pee and poop off the floor. <laughs> what is it? The pudendal three or two, three, four keeps the poop off the floor. So I S guess two, it is true what they say. Two, three, that you have four. a lot of nerves in your feet. So that is true. <laughs> yeah. And they impact you in many different ways. <laughs> so I know like... Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Rachel, in, in PT school, we, we learned about pelvic floor musculature, obviously, but I don't ever really remember um, learning like treatment for it. I think we had like a special lecture one time, but I was like, I don't know. I will just send them to a specialist because I don't really know the treatment wise on this kind of stuff. 
Yeah, so definitely learn anatomy, uh, at least to a degree. And then maybe they're like, oh, this is what it affects. But even for me, we had two, a lecture and a lab about pelvic floor, and that was it. I, I think the same thing. Um, I just remember them making us uh, yell all the um, private parts words and sexual stuff during our lecture to get everybody like, talking and everything i just remember that because it was really funny <laughs> it's been very interesting at your university <laughs> it was it was um okay so, so i guess i wanted to ask you who what, what kind of person would come see you so it could be anyone now specifically me i don't treat peds and that's true orthopedically or for pelvic floor but it sure. does exist mm. um it's men it's women it's teenagers it's cradle to grave so, um, I think one thing that we were discussing even like before the podcast here was, um, common versus abnormal. And a lot of people think that just cause something is common, it might not actually mean that it's normal. Um, so I kind of want you to, to kind of take us on a little ride through and kind of destigmatize some of these things that people might think are common, but are actually not normal or actually abnormal. Uh, peeing yourself. Not, not normal. <laughs> Typical, not normal. But a lot of and people, that, but a lot of people think that. Like, uh, they I, do. I just had a baby. Yeah. This is, this is normal. So, super taboo thing to talk about. Like, oh, you're peeing yourself. Ooh, let's not mention that. <laughs> yeah. Um. Although, like, the prevalence of commercials about, hey, wear this if you pee yourself and don't worry about leakage, are becoming more and more. What you should know is that regardless of surgery, childbirth, what have you, if you're still leaking, and some people will say a couple days, I'll be like, all right, give it like two weeks because catheters and stents and those kind of things are weird. Right. If you're still leaking at that point, mm -mm, no, you need to get that checked out. So pretty much peeing yourself uh, other than maybe two weeks after surgery, abnormal. Is there anything else? Um as far as like common and abnormal things. Yeah. Okay. Just want to make sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Kegels don't fix everything. And if you don't know what a Kegel is, it's just the contraction of your pelvic floor muscles. Uh, it is supposedly a German word. It does not translate well. What does the German word mean? Do I need to ask? Cone. What? Cone. Cone? Yeah. Cone. Oh, I was not expecting that. No. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, it's supposed to like represent like the funnel of the pelvic floor, but oh. yeah, we're more of a bowl shape than we are a funnel or a cone. So are you saying some of these TikToks that tell everybody to Kegel isn't the answer for everything? Yeah. So, okay. So Kegels are great. Sure. Love it. Bread and butter, but it's not everything. And for some people, urinary leakage bowel leakage other issues aren't because you're weak it's because you're too tight like everything is just mm. crunched up as high as it will go and the body can't tell the difference at that point between what's closed and what's opened so then that would be feeding into the problem then if they keep trying to contract something that's tight right or maybe even creating new problems so if you before only had urinary retention or you have like a hesitant stream like you have like the stop start and you're like well this just go yeah um maybe we're leading into testicular pain painful intercourse increased back pain hip is, pain those kind of things is painful intercourse uh common or abnormal 
painful intercourse is one abnormal for both parties. And I would also say it's very common. So statistically, I'm not 100% sure, um, but you can be certain that one in three women experience pelvic floor dysfunction. And, and that includes bowel, bladder, postpartum pregnancy, uh, surgical, all those things. Yeah. But I would say a good majority, maybe 50% of what I see in the clinic in the area I live is related to pain. Wow. That's pretty high. And then how do you, I guess, how do you even get to this point where are you having problems? Is it, uh, more of a natural at birth or is it something that can happen throughout your life? So it can definitely be either. I've seen, I've met some like younger women, particularly Mm -hmm. who come in and have dysfunction. And uh, part of that can actually be culture as well. Raised certain ways or or certain like religious or sexual Mm -hmm. views imparted in a way that make them almost fearful to do anything uh, remotely related to such a private area. Mm -hmm. And then some of it could be developed. So when you have a baby, it's a really big strain on the body i mean you're pushing a watermelon out and uh, things get a little messed up um so what i'm hearing is that it's a it's a common thing but what you're saying is that it's not necessarily a normal thing and that that is something that someone might seek out um maybe care for or someone like you for right so anytime you're experiencing some issue like this, I I want people, I implore people to push a little bit harder. Like don't expect that your doctor is going to be like, Oh yes, you need to go see the pelvic floor therapist. They may not even know that it exists around them or it exists um, at all, or they may think it's not useful, but if you've been struggling with something for any amount of time, wouldn't you want to like try all avenues to make it better? No, absolutely. Um, and a lot of times, you know, just like regular PT, if we can't figure out something that changes in a certain period of time, like I would say a couple visits, a couple weeks, I'm going to go, okay, maybe we need to go somewhere else. And I might then refer you to a specialist or uh, somebody who's more in the field that you're looking for. Well, that makes total sense. Um Anything else that might be common but is not normal? Yes. So uh, men have pelvic floors too. And the reason that y'all don't beat yourselves all the time is because you have a prostate and it is great. It does the job for you. So I frequently find that this is a weaker area for most men. And most of the time I'm seeing them, the majority of the patient, male patients I see in my clinic are there because they have prostate cancer and they're going to mm-hmm. have surgery. Um, so they usually have poor coordination and, and they also are like, oh, we have pelvic floors. I'm like, yeah, it turns out you also have these like 13 different muscles down here that are helping you with sexual function, bowel and bladder. So guys don't, guys don't necessarily maybe feel it as, uh, as much as females because of the prostate. And then once that is removed and, or, uh, have something tampered with, then that's when uh, maybe more males tend to have leakage and stuff like that. Right. So 
I would say the vast majority are going to be after either prostate cancer or radiation concerning prostate mm -hmm. cancer or uh, colon cancer. I see a very select few for urinary like urgency, pain with intercourse, those kind of things. Um, and those typically actually take on a more orthopedic role because another fun fact your testicles descend. So, you know, they talk like, haha, his testicles drop, like, so fun. <laughs> but they descend from nerves in your thoracic spine, and their connections are actually uh, abdominal muscles that have dropped down through mm. the pelvic cavity. So, I guess you could say if we had that kind of voluntary control, you could raise one and one and then the other individually. That is. <laughs> That is interesting. <laughs> um, man, I had a I had a thought on that. Oh, so just for the male listeners out there, how can we avoid? Uh, I know I know sometimes you, sometimes you can't avoid cancer, but how can we avoid having a bad either prostate or maybe avoiding things that would lead to a male having his prostate removed? Um, is there any any tips or anything like that for the male listeners? Um, so one of the biggest things they really advocate as far as cancer research and just healthy living in general uh, is less red meats in your diet, having less alcohol and fatty food consumption. And statistically, you'll find that areas that have poor diets, less vegetables, um, more alcohol consumption have higher incidences of cancer. This is a great example. So my husband was semi-living slash working in Pennsylvania for a lot while. And I went to visit him, um, and then I flew back. And everywhere we ate, I felt like we couldn't get a green vegetable. And I won't hmm. say what part of Pennsylvania we were in, because I don't want to like, yeah. call anybody out. But... Scranton. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everywhere we ate, I felt like we couldn't get a green vegetable. And I just looked at him as he's driving me back to the airport, and I was like, I bet they have higher rates of colorectal cancer here. And... Uh, sure enough, they do because it's influenced by alcohol consumption and fatty foods and lack of healthy diet and lifestyle. Rachel, you're a little scientist, you know that? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's super interesting. I never, I would, I, I wouldn't have thought about even just like culturally or demographically places where you can't really get as healthy as options and stuff like that. That's really yeah. interesting. So, uh, and then PSA, like which is funny because that's the level that they check whenever they're looking for prostate cancer is your PSA level, hmm. but public service announcement, get your prostate checked. If you have a history, a family history of cancer, especially males, you're going to start earlier. So typically they're going to start those things at 50, but if you have a direct history, you mm -hmm. need to be going in your forties and getting that checked out. No, I think that's, that's really good advice. No, no, definitely. It definitely is. Um, and I guess overall, is there anything from like a, a, a woman's perspective that you can do to prevent some of the, the issues that they might be seeing you? Yes. One, like learn about your body. Uh, again, one of those taboo things like, okay, that's the no-no square. Don't touch anything there, but learn about your body. Understand mm -hmm. that there are muscles there that they should move. They should move both up and down. Mm -hmm. that you should not be pushing to pee or to poop, really, if you're having a good diet, if you've got good toileting mechanics. Um, and that you can do exercise, 
during pregnancy, even if you weren't exercising before it, it just has to be at a different level. Sure. Um, and be smart about it. Don't, uh, don't do things that you wouldn't just have done, you know, a couple weeks ago. No, that makes, that makes total sense. Um, so for, um, maybe some of the female listeners out there, um, what would be some good, um, diet advice for maybe like constipation or, um, something related more to like the bowel side of things if people are suffering from that kind of stuff? I know people are tired of hearing it, but water, you have to drink water. Literally the colon absorbs all your water and then the poop is just stuck at the end. Drink more water, both soluble and insoluble fibers. So your leafy greens, but also things like corn, beans, bell peppers. If you can see it from beginning and you see it still at the end, Mm. it's helping us scrub out the colon there. (laughs) How much, I know this is kind of a debated topic. How much water do you recommend? Like when you, when you see clientele, uh, how much do you tell them to drink? So, um, there are a couple different rules that I will have people to follow because some are more realistic than others. The 64 ounces rule doesn't actually have a lot of scientific backing, but Mm -hmm. it does seem to keep most people's urine pretty clear. Uh, And you do want that. Like you shouldn't be looking in the toilet and being like, that's apple juice. What about the whole gallon a day? Uh, gallon a day. Okay. Very skeptical. I've heard that too. Yeah, I don't preach that one. And the reason is you can overdo it and lose some electrolyte balance. And that puts other things at risk. Again, kidneys, heart, because mm-hmm. we require those electrolytes to run. Now, exceptions to the rule. If you work out a lot or you do an outside job and you sweat a lot, you may end up drinking more than a gallon a day to try and replace some of that liquid. Um there are certainly times for women of the month that I might say, hey, you might increase your water intake, especially during your period. Mm-hmm. And then if you're breastfeeding, you're going to need a higher amount of water to maintain your milk production. Hmm. All right. On the fiber, how many grams do you need? <laughs> oh, gosh. you would I've heard like, so many things. This. No, I mean, it's just you don't have to be 100 percent accurate. I've heard 25 a day. I've heard 30 a day. So men need more than women. Um, women, I think it's 30 grams of fiber a day, 30, 35, and men are 35, 40, somewhere in there. Um, that can come, again, in the form of fruits, in the form of vegetables. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're bad at it, like me, you're probably going to take some Metamucil or something <laughs> something to help push you yeah. along. Move the number up a little bit more. That's yeah. right. A smooth yeah. move is what they say on Metamucil. So oh my gosh. <laughs> it's good marketing. Actually, we kind of do want that smooth move now when I'm thinking about it. I'm like, wow, that's embarrassing. But no, you need it. <laughs> and I know there's, I mean, talking about this, I know there's like those charts out there that look at, uh, you know, the different consistencies of your poop. Mm. Um, how accurate are those charts? And is there is there one consistency that is more optimal for people? Yes, 100%. So the Bristol stool chart is what I use the most in office to look at patients and talk about what their bowel movements look like. You want to be a number four on the Bristol stool chart. Um, What that means simply is that your poop is kind of shaped like a banana. It should be a fair size. 
Um, probably, <laughs> I'm just saying, it needs to at least We're be children. like a half, that's half dollar in size. Um, and it should come out in pretty long pieces. So if we're getting like really feathery stools or we're getting like hard pebbly stools, you either need more water or more fiber or something to help bulk your stool, depending on what side of the spectrum you're on. So you want to be mm-hmm. three or four. Three or four. We'll put a we'll put a link in the description. Yeah. That way, we'll put in the show notes. Uh, yeah, in the show notes, oh, people can can kind of click on some of the things and uh, even ever any we'll some of the little poop chart. Yeah, the poop chart <laughs> and even some of like the statistics we're talking about. We'll kind of put all those in the description. That way, uh, people can find it. <clears throat> and I would oh. say, you know, talking about constipation kind of makes me think. Okay, straining. Yes, let's talk about straining. Hannibal. You're supposed to push when you go to the bathroom, right? <laughs> no, uh, no pushing. If you're not pushing, then you're not doing anything. You're not trying. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> straining so good for the no. So uh, trying to get hemorrhoids. Do y'all know how Elvis died? I know he died on the toilet. He sure wasn't he drugs. So he valsalvaed so hard to try and push out a poop that he closed off his aortic artery and caused himself to have a heart attack. It wasn't drugs. I thought it was drugs. Uh, I mean, he had lots of drugs in his body too, but <laughs> drugs drugs are another reason why you have constipation. Like pain medication, instantly going to back you up. Yeah, that that is very true. I do see, when we see post op in the clinic, uh, a lot of them are like, "I can't take it anymore. I need to use the restroom." Yeah, they need, but they probably need a little magnesium in their life. Probably. I highly recommend for a lot of my like post surgical patients. I'm like, you got a stool softener at home, like. You take a little mirror lax later. Don't uh, anything to bust. Ma- magnesium. Are you talking like something, a supplement they can pick up from like Walmart? Yeah. So my favorite magnesium supplement that I personally use, like not an endorsement or anything, but I like it is a uh, calm by natural vitality. And that comes in a powder mix in, it comes in gummies. They even make caplets. Different forms of magnesium can be used for different things. So this is specifically a magnesium citrate in a low dose, not that liquid bottle. Drink some of that and you'll never leave the toilet. It'll be like sugar-free gummy bears. Okay. Um, but just uh, you can take it daily. I really recommend it most whenever there's a change in routine or you're traveling. No, oh, that's – no, I like that. Um yeah. How much are you supposed to go a day in terms of uh, let's let's do uh, bowel and then we'll do bladder. Is there like a range where if it's too much, it's not good and too little, obviously you're constipated or not good. Yes. So ideally for bowel, you would actually go after every meal. Oh, right after. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. Finish my food. Gotta go. Bye. (laughs) Um, Typically, Uh, you're looking at like 30 minutes to an hour after you eat, you should be having a bowel movement. Digestion should be kicking in, but more standard based off of American diet is every day to like every other day. Um, Hmm. Definitely there are things that can stimulate that more. So like people are like, got to have my morning coffee. And what they really mean is got to have my morning poop. True. They go hand in hand. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes at the same time. <laughs> so so I would say less than three times in a week is how I define constipation. That along with, okay, what type of stools are we having and how much are you taking in? I've 
definitely had patients that I'm like, okay, nutritionally, you're not eating enough. So why would you produce poop? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, okay. So if they're not going more than three times a week, not good. Um, should be after pretty much every meal. And what's too much? At least once a day. Too much is more than five times in a day with usually watery stools. (laughs) We're not, we're not calling anybody out here. (laughs) Um, <laughs> what about uh bladder? What is the the kind of normal range on that? Typically 5 to 8 times in a day. Uh a frequency we look at is every like 2 to 4 hours. So if you're going more often than that, again, considered kind of abnormal. Mm-hmm. If you're going less often than that, I would also say are you dehydrated? Do you need help? Um oh, and that's your average person. So there are reasons why you might pee more or less than that. But for your average person, that that rule standard. No, that makes sense. Um, okay, let's oh. tie, do it. And yeah, so also at night, if you're getting up all the time, you got to change something. You should be getting it up maybe once during the night to go pee. What's like the cutoff? When, when do you tell people to stop drinking before they go to bed? Let's say they go to when bed at you- like nine o'clock. What time would you tell them to stop drink- drinking? seven to eight they need okay. to quit drinking liquid in there and avoid like dairy and sugar close to bed because those are bladder irritants and might cause you to have more urgency to go oh that's good yeah. to know so late night ice cream now go wow dropping knowledge on us <laughs> <laughs> okay what about how how can we tie this in for maybe some of the the lifters out there and, and people who are you know wanting to get uh or either in fitness or wanting to get in fitness and they're like well i don't want to like you know, mess anything up with my pelvic floor. Um, what are some like tips and tricks and recommendations that you can give to those viewers? Okay. First off, breathe. And I don't mean like hyperventilate and pull the air into the top of your lungs, but we need to be taking these deep belly breaths. So your abdomen should move first and furthest, and then the chest can move and fill with air. But you want to be able to breathe in and push your belly out and let everything relax if you feel a warm sensation down under don't worry you're probably not going to pee yourself as long as you've been recently (laughs) then on that exhale it's actually drawing in so it's drawing in the rib cage it's drawing up our pelvic floor it's pulling a diaphragm up as the lungs exit so that's really confusing for a lot of people you want to think about yourself as a balloon Mm -hmm. and when the air comes in everything expands including pelvic floor and it should Mm -hmm. be able to to a degree and then when the air comes out everything is contracting and drawing back up. No, that, that t- makes total sense. I feel like a lot of people, even with like stress, um, hold tension, um, and not even just like when they're working out, but just in general. And can they have that in their pelvic floor? Is that possible? Yeah, absolutely. So I frequently see that my type A patients are high tone or, or they lack the ability to relax in their pelvic floor. You'll also find a really good crossover between uh, TMJ and pelvic floor tension. So if you sitting here right now and you kind of feel like, oh, I'm sitting on those two bones underneath my butt, and then you clench your jaw, you may kind of feel things move in between those two bones. Hmm. Hmm. Just a little movement. I've been clenching the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Better take that deep belly breath then. Um, anything else for some of the lifters out there? Um, breathing, yeah. absolutely. 
And that doesn't mean, so breathing is important. That doesn't mean that you can't brace. I understand that there are different types of lifting that people are going to be working on and bracing with your core is important. But as you're doing that, you don't want to be pushing out like you Mm. feel like you're going to poop. No, that, I, I, I do think that is sometimes a common misconception is so either people hold their breath the entire time, which is not good, like you're talking about, or maybe more specific lifts like an Olympic or power lift people, instead of are bracing in, they're pushing out through their pelvic floor. And that's what you're saying. That's not good. It's good to brace and maybe even use a belt, but if you're pushing right. down, that's not good. Right. Cause those are the things in women. We see it frequently leads to prolapse in men. We see more hernias occur and mm. you want to talk about something that slows down your workout and lifting game. It's being injured. So if you can treat your body with respect, not just in the sense of I want to gain muscle, but I want to maintain control, breathe and control how you brace and don't strain or push down through your body. No, I think that's, that's perfect advice because we tell people consistency is, is king. If you want to make the most gains in your health and fitness long-term, you got to be consistent. So if you're blowing out a hernia every, you know, six, you know, weeks, that's not good. Yeah. You're basically just recovering just long enough to come back in and be like, Oh, well I did it again. And let me tell you after a while, the surgeon's going to go, okay, this isn't fixable anymore. No, no, definitely. And I guess as we're getting to the end, if you could definitely share some resources with us so we can put in the show notes of uh, different things that we can give our, our, our listeners. And with that, we also want to ask you a, a closing question. Yeah, what is one thing you wish you would have known related to pelvic floor that you wish you knew when you were younger? Uh, I wish I had just known more about it in general. Yeah. We personally speaking to my patients and for myself, there wasn't like a good sex education and not even the sense of like having intercourse, but like here are the changes your body's going to go through. And yeah. here's what you need to know about uh, pelvic floor. Like, Pain with intercourse is abnormal. Birth control is not meant to be taken forever. Um, intercourse should be good for both parties. It, just any of those things. And to not like shy away if I have questions. That's probably a bigger one. Growing up kind of sheltered, I'm like, I don't want to talk to anybody about this. Sure. It's your body and it's your life, so you should be able to talk about it. Um, what are some maybe some uh, resources on, I mean, obviously people can, you know, find you. We'll talk about how they can find you in a second. But what are some maybe resources that if people wanted to learn more about some of these things that they could go look up? Um, so resources that I like, there is, um, and they, I guess these are like kind of shout outs to some other people's programs sure. and things they've set up. So there's uh, Instagram, the Vagina Whisperer. Let's go. <laughs> There's a uh, Mama Stay Yoga, which is really good postpartum work. There's Heal at Home Moms, which is more local, but they have an online presence as well. Uh, And she has like online programs for postpartum. Certainly, uh, I don't have a lot of great resources for prostate off the top of my head. So I'm like, oh, let me think about that. Yeah. Yeah, you can share those later. No worries. But it is National Bladder Cancer Awareness Month. So just shout out there. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, make sure you're doing your health checks. You know, go to your yearly exam or physical. Talk about the things that bother you. Um, oh, yoga with Adrian. Love that one. Good. Definitely hey, I know attention. yoga with Adrian. Hey. He has good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
Rachel, thanks so much for for being on our first guest. Um, you always remember your first. You always remember <laughs> first of <laughs> first first interview. Come on now. <laughs> first of many, hopefully, and um, yeah, we'll put a lot of these into the show notes. That way, is there any way people can find you, or uh, you want to just kind of keep it as you know, look up on um, Facebook? So. There are several great pelvic floor therapists in the Chattanooga area, and you have a variety of options. So you could do concierge where somebody comes to your house. You can go one-on-one clinics, and then there are several uh, outpatient clinics that are open to the public, self-pay, insurance, what have you, who have good pelvic floor therapists who have been doing this for a number of years. Yeah. So shout out to them for doing all the hard work, ladies. Shout out to them. So if, if you are not in the Chattanooga area, just do some research, Google around, type in, you know, pelvic floor. Pelvicguru.com yep. might be oh. a good way for you to find one in your there area. There we go. So we'll put all this in the show notes. And Rachel, thanks again. And uh, Annabelle, you want to close us out yeah. here? Thanks for, thanks, for, thanks for coming. And like we always try to tell all our listeners, remember, you are human. We should not seek perfection, but daily improvement. All right. See you guys. See ya. Bye.